Listening to the Coffee Hour, I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Why is Ascension a big deal? It it is, or um, it has been in the past. Why is it maybe not so familiar to many of us today? We're going to talk about that right here on the Coffee Hour. Thanks to Concordia University Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. Joining us today is the Reverend Sean Denzer, LCMS Director of Worship and Chaplain for the LCMS International Center. Pastor Denzer, thanks so much for being our guest on the Coffee Hour today. Hey, my pleasure, guys. And a blessed Ascension Day to you as well. Thank yeah. you, and to you. So Ascension, um, it's it's a feast. It's a feast of the church, mm-hmm. but maybe we don't hear as much about it as we do some of the other feasts. Um, why? Why has it gone by the wayside in so many places? Um, let's start with scriptures. What do the scriptures reveal about Jesus' ascension? What do we learn about Jesus' ascension in God's Word? Sure, the ascension isn't accord, uh, recorded in all of the Gospels, but it's uh, at the end of Mark, especially with that longer ending of Mark, uh, and then it's uh, it's in Luke as well, <clears throat> and it's especially in Acts. That's where we get kind of the whole story laid out for us. And, uh, and that's where we get, uh, you know, all the details. So Acts is the place to go. Acts chapter one, if you want to hear about the ascension of Christ. Um, but it actually comes up in other places because it's an important part of Christ's ministry. And that's why it is a big deal. And that's why it's a shame that it has fallen by the wayside lately. Um, his work is not complete until his ascension. And that might seem weird. It's kind of like, you know, well, when you leave the building, you don't really consider that part of the performance. Um, (laughs) And in a way, that's what Jesus does, right? But actually, it's much more important than that because Christ's ascension is, is, is not just the, you know, the you know, the curtain coming down on his life, certainly not on his incarnation. There is no curtain on that. Uh, But in fact, his ascension means something for the future. It means that the Lord is now continuing to work in a way that is, in fact, in some ways greater than what he did while he was here on earth. That might be astounding for us to hear, but, but that's why it's important that we recover the ascension as such an important feast in the church here. Mm -hmm. Why is his ascension historically important for us? It's historically important, I suppose, because it's one of the key actions of Christ. You know, it's a hard thing to try and summarize and and cut off what Jesus is doing. Uh, You know, nobody is is really a non-essential person right now as we're trying (laughs) to figure that out. And no part of Jesus' ministry is non-essential in the same way. Uh, but if you were to try to look at the creed, which lays out kind of the the most important things, we don't get to hear about Jesus at age 12. We don't get to hear about every miracle he did, but we get to hear that he um, came down from heaven and was incarnate, right? Was born. Uh, he did this for our salvation. He suffered. He died. He was buried. He rose and he ascended. That's one of the, one of the key things. Uh, and so that's why it has to have a place in the church here. Its place in the church here, by the way, is, is great because it's one of the chronological, really logical placements uh, uh, for an event that we observe. You know, all of the Sundays after Trinity, we have a whole bunch of random teachings and and uh, 
healings of Jesus, and sometimes they seem random at least, uh, but this one makes great sense. It's literally 40 days after uh, Easter, and, and for us in the Western church, that means after the Passover time. Uh, but that is also the reason, I think, frankly, why the ascension's fallen out of favor. It's always on a Thursday. That's always 40 <laughs> days after Easter Sunday. And uh, for whatever reason, we have become very uh, Sabbatarian in our <laughs> understanding here in America of church, in that we think it's a Sunday thing only, uh, which, uh, well, it's not. Mm -hmm. hmm. So we should all take the day off on Thursdays uh, every year on this Thursday in May for Ascension, right? It would yes. be great. In, in the past, I think the governments probably would have helped us with that and given us the day off. Today, you'll probably have to use your personal time, but uh, but I think it's worth it. And fortunately, mm -hmm. a lot of churches that do have services have them in the evenings, and uh, and others, I suppose, could take it just for an hour. Uh, wouldn't that be great? I always thought that when I was in a rural congregation, you know, Ascension is probably the absolute worst time for North Dakota farmers, at least, because they're <laughs> always out in the field trying to get the last stuff in. Uh, but... I think it'd be great just to have everybody come in. You know, we could do a 45 minute service with communion. Come in, 45 minutes, have our service. You can wear all your muddy jeans and then go right <laughs> back out to it. But, uh, but to give the ascension its due. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about what ascension means historically, um, this being a historical event, what that means for Jesus. What does that then mean for us? What does his ascension mean for us? Yeah. And for this, um, we could go to a couple places. The first place is probably the Old Testament. Surprising, you wouldn't expect to go there <laughs> to learn about Jesus, but it's foretelling what he's going to do. And there's where we see Psalm 110, where uh, the Lord says to my Lord, that's the Father speaking to the Son, sit thou at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Uh, that, that when Jesus ascends into heaven and sits down at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, it is to say, not that he's uh, going to a particular place, the folding chair uh, <laughs> on the right of the Father, but that he is going to a place of power, right? A position, a, a status. And the status is the one who is the right-hand man of God, uh, the one who is keeping all things in subjection to him. So you see, it's a place of ruling. It's it's the throne. It's it, And it's the throne of the guy who does the work, not the figurehead, right? But the one who actually executes judgment, justice, righteousness, grace, healing, power, all of it. Uh, that's what it means to be at the right hand of God. Now, now when Jesus uh, ascends, I think our first instinct is to say, well, there he goes. He's left the building, right? He's, he's gone. Uh, but that's the other part that's so important for us and, and something that for us as Lutherans in particular, we love, which is to say, Jesus is not gone. For this, we can go to Ephesians, which explains it quite easily. Uh, we have a little bit about the ascension at the beginning of Ephesians, but I think probably the best place to go is 4, where where Paul talks about um, Christ. Uh, let's see, here it is. Uh, Christ, uh, you know, not only ascended, but he also descended. And he did that, and it quotes one of the Psalms, he ascended uh, on high to lead captivity captive and to give gifts to men. And uh, the gifts that Paul enumerates here are prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers, the work of the ministry. And then it goes on to talk about how Christ has ascended, sorry, that's right before that, Christ has ascended to fill all things. 
What this means is that Christ hasn't ascended to to be far away in a particular place, you know, like to go up to some planet or 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 live in a cloud, which is, I think, the way our our minds kind of envision heaven. But what it means is Christ has now brought Himself to God's presence and to God's majesty, right? And we have to remember who we're talking about here. This Jesus Christ is not just you know the Son of God, uh, you know, who's always been with God, but we are talking about the Jesus Christ who has become incarnate of the Virgin Mary, who is true man. Which means there's something new going on in heaven and in God's majesty and in His inner circle now. The humanity of Jesus Christ is dwelling there, right? And it's the exalted humanity that we see in full display on Easter when he is, you know, able to be with his disciples in all these places. He's appearing to them. He's risen. He's never able to die again. He's he's walking through walls, right, to come say peace to disciples who are scared and huddling there. This is the Jesus who has ascended on high, that he might fill all things. So back to that question, has Jesus left? No. In fact, he's closer than ever. By his ascension, he is able to be present with his whole church. By his ascension, he is able uh, to rule his church in all places at all times. And and for us as Lutherans, we want to point out one place in particular that Jesus is not less present, but more present with us now because of the ascension. The Lord's Supper, right? The body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ is not trapped somewhere far away but it is now able to be present on all the altars of every church in all the world, able to be um, given and distributed to every Christian over and over again, many times without ever disappearing, right? Or being used up. This is all by virtue of the fact that his human nature, along with, I mean, his person is exalted to the right hand of God with all of its majesty, ruling and reigning for the sake of the church. Why is it important that he ascended bodily what what difference does that make for us you mentioned a few things but but dig in a little bit more to that the incarnation doesn't end right so mm-hmm. i mean we talk about jesus has no beginning right because the son was eternally with the father on the other hand jesus kind of does have a beginning right <laughs> we, we even mark our calendars by that beginning and probably should have it 9 months earlier because he was conceived right and 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 then was born so his his existence in the flesh, right? His incarnation has a clear beginning. So you might, might want to ask the same question. Well, when will Jesus ever end? Never, of course, right? He is the Son of God. God is eternal. He'll never come to an end. Uh, but, but this incarnation of Jesus, which certainly has a beginning in the conception, does not have an end, right? He doesn't leave his body behind and, you know, like, like, the cartoon dog who dies and his angel, you know, goes up to heaven. That's not what happens at the ascension. Bodily, he ascends. So that bodily, as a man, we have somebody there with the Father doing two things, interceding for us, the scriptures say, praying on our behalf, pointing to his wounds to the Father, so to speak, and saying, look, I've accomplished salvation for the whole world. Uh, Never forget this, Father. Uh, Casting out the devil, saying, you know, he has no business accusing the brethren up here in my courts now. I'm the advocate on behalf of all my people. I've sent them another advocate, the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, and, And then because he's ascended bodily into heaven, Uh, This is to say his body is glorified, that he is always and fully now uh, using his divine powers and attributes still as a man for us, right? So we don't have just, you know, God's up there and I suppose he cares for us or I hope he cares for us. No, we have our human nature at the right hand of God interceding for us, caring for us, praying for us, and yes, able to be present for us as well by his words 
and physically, uh, we should say bodily, in his, uh, in his holy sacrament. It's sometimes hard to wrap our brains around, but it does just pretty much so take out any images of just floaty, like ghost-like. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> don't you think we sometimes think that though? Like we think of sometimes in our Western culture, we think of Jesus as this like floaty, only spirit-like thing um, rather than real um, human flesh and blood, like real. Absolutely. And, and, and there's something about the Ascension that lends itself to that. All the mention of clouds, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. he disappears into the cloud and the angels Mm -hmm. say, you'll see him descending in the same way that you saw him ascend. Uh, the last day, Paul in first Thessalonians four talks about how, uh, we'll be with the Lord in the clouds to meet him in the air. And we get all sorts of strange ideas about raptures and, you know, secret, uh, being swept away by, by a fog, I guess. Um, the the reason for this cloud language, though, is way back in the Old Testament. Moses, right? We all know that the Lord was present in the pillar of fire by day, uh, by night, and cloud by day. Now that was a very physical, tangible thing. Uh, it was by no means ethereal. Uh, it was a real presence of God. It came and rested in the tabernacle. It came out and burnt up people to a crisp when they violated God's law or, or transgressed His holiness. Uh, that's no joke, right? Uh, mm-hmm. It, you know, by like the blast from God's nostrils spread spread open the Red Sea so that the people of Israel could walk through safe and then let it all collapse down on the on the on Pharaoh and all his host in the Red Sea, right? So if you were to ask them, they would say this cloud is nothing, you know, flimsy or or floaty or 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 cutesy. This is serious business. It's a physical presence of the Lord. Uh, and the clouds there, in fact, to obscure the holiness so that we sinners don't die. That's the clouds that we see at the ascension. That's the clouds that our Lord is going to return in. Uh, but, but for us, that's not a fearful thing. That's a joyful thing because this is the same Lord who was for his people Israel. Now he's for us, his church. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. We're talking with Reverend Sean Denzer, LCMS Director of Worship and Chaplain for the LCMS International Center, taking a look at Ascension. Now we've covered the, the history of Ascension and the meaning of Ascension. Next, in, uh, in just a moment, we'll take a look at how we observe Ascension, the Feast of Ascension in the, uh, the church year, and what are some of the uh, traditions associated with that. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Hi, this is Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas, and host of Sharper Iron from KFUO. I'd love to have you join us in our current study of St. Paul's Letter to the Romans. The series is called The Righteousness of God for You. Throughout this marvelous epistle, the apostle takes us back to the fundamentals of Christian doctrine. He sharpens our understanding of basic terms that our pastors introduced to us in confirmation class, terms like sin and grace, law and gospel, justification and sanctification, faith and righteousness, and much more. But this isn't just an academic exercise. Rather, at the center of the doctrine taught in the epistle to the Romans stands Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for sinners. If you studied Romans in the past, don't worry about getting bored. Your faith will be sharpened even more. In his preface to Romans, Dr. Martin Luther put it like this. This epistle is really the chief part of the New Testament and is truly the purest gospel. It is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word, 
by heart, but also that he should occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. We can never read it or ponder over it too much. For the more we deal with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. Check out the Sharper Iron podcast from KFUO to taste and see from the book of Romans that the Lord is good because his righteousness is for us. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Ascension Day. We're talking with Pastor Sean Denzer, LCMS Director of Worship and Chaplain for the LCMS International Center. Chaplain Denzer, thanks so much for the the history of Ascension, that brief history and, and what it means. Now, how do we put that into, how is that put into the church year? How do we observe that as a feast? What does that look like um, for us today um, and for the church throughout history, I guess? What does it look like in the liturgical calendar? I think we mentioned already that it's in the creed, which we confess all the time, probably multiple times a day, you know, that he ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And from thence, we expect to see him again, just as the angels said to the to the guys there in Galilee, as, as you saw him go into heaven, likewise, you'll see him return. Uh, exalted, that means. Another place that we as Lutherans actually have it, and, and if you're in a particularly old congregation, especially one that never renovated or, or recovated their uh, sanctuary, <laughs> you might actually see behind the altar a picture of the Ascension. I'd say, you know, other than having a cross, a crucifix of some kind, or maybe the resurrection, the number one picture that is behind the altar, usually behind the crucifix on the altar in old Lutheran churches, is a picture of the ascension. It might seem strange, but it, I mean, it, it calls our attention to the fact that this is a really big deal, and it was to our forefathers, again, connected with the altar too, because it's by the ascension that our Lord is able to be present according to his promise in the Lord's Supper, there for everyone, right, with all of his fullness. He's ascended on high, not to be far away from us, but to, in fact, fill all things and, and, to, and to be ruling and reigning for the sake of his church everywhere. So how then does the church celebrate the Ascension in particular? Like I said, this feast makes the most sense. It's literally 40 days after the resurrection. Uh, that's when it happens in history. That's when we also celebrate each year in the church year. 40 days after Easter ends up being this Thursday uh, before Pentecost, or a week and a half before Pentecost. So it's always on a Thursday, and I think that makes it should make it easier for us to remember it. <laughs> in the church's observation of ascension, uh, the texts are obvious. We, we read from the Gospels. So we, we usually get Mark's account and get to hear uh, the uh, ascension that way. In this case, uh, because we've shifted now out of the Gospels as kind of the center, if you're thinking kind of chronologically, right? The ascension is really the beginning of, of, of Acts. And so the Acts reading is, is admittedly the most important one. But that's the epistle usually, or in some cases we read as the first reading, like an Old Testament reading. So you're definitely going to hear uh, from one of the Gospels, and you're going to hear this Acts account. And uh, as far as traditions, there's not a whole lot of great traditions. Uh, I grew up uh, with a choir concert on uh, Ascension, which by no means has a long history in the church. But it was a nice uh, choir concert. They'd pile up all the great things they sang throughout the year, and it ended up being kind of a retrospective of the whole life of Christ. And I think there's a way in which that's a good uh, 
a good thing for all of us to consider. Think of that great hymn, right? Thanks to thee, O Christ victorious. And then it goes through all of the things that Christ has done for us, including the ascension, I believe. Uh, that's kind of here. But but more than just a wrapping up of the Lord's ministry or, you know, he came down, so he probably ought to go up at the end. Uh, what we celebrate and observe, especially in our hymns, is the fact that we have God at the right hand, you know, the Son of God at the right hand of his Father, there to intercede for us, to sit on his throne and rule for us, which gives us a great confidence in the midst of all sorts of uncertainties in this world. Uh, as as Paul says, I, or the book of Hebrews says, uh, we don't yet see all things in subjection under his feet, uh, even though we confess every Sunday all the time that we know that's the case. We don't see it yet. So it's great comfort for us to to consider the ascension, to realize, no, we have uh, we have our main man, Jesus, at the right hand of God, taking care of this all, right? We don't just have some God ruling everything, but we have a God who loves us in Christ Jesus, ruling the universe. That should steal us uh, against every trial and temptation in this life. And, and we have a Lord who intercedes for us right with the Father, right? That's why our prayers are effective. We, we don't just toss up, you know, uh, pun intended, Hail Mary passes, <laughs> right? Hoping that somebody's listening. You know, if there, hey God, if there's a God, uh, I've got a few things on my mind. No, we address our prayers in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, we are bold and confident to ask everything because uh, we know our, our brother Jesus Christ uh, is there with the Father and is glad to bring our petitions. In fact, he brings them even before we ask them uh, and brings them perfectly. So these are all the thoughts with ascension. If there's one other ceremony that I guess goes with it, for churches that make use of a Paschal candle, that's a candle that's usually lit all uh, during the season of Easter and uh, and sometimes lit at funerals or baptisms as well. Some In some places, it's a tradition to extinguish that candle uh, uh, at the ascension, that it kind of marks not um, maybe just the season of Easter, but maybe marks the time of Christ's exaltation after his resurrection being extinguished. I, I think that's a fine tradition. Some churches do it. Uh, sometimes the candle is removed from the chancel at that point. If if your church does that, though, make sure you don't misunderstand it. What what it would it w- what it wouldn't mean is that the Lord has disappeared, right? I think that's probably the most important thing for us to consider about the Ascension is this mistake, which is to think that the Ascension means it's up to me now, right? Uh, Jesus is gone, so I guess it's up to me, right? He's an absentee landlord. No, uh, not at all. That's why those Ephesians passages are so important. He's ascended uh, you know, far above all heavens in order to fill all things. Um, it doesn't mean that the Lord is gone or that he's not doing anything anymore, much more. He is at work uh, beyond what we can see. That's the point. It's it's not a a ministry of sight anymore. But we know him best by the hearing, which is so comforting to us, right? He's he's everywhere. He's he's in the voice of his word, right? The scriptures being read, the, the preaching on the basis of those scriptures, which happens every Sunday and all the time. That is how the Lord is present. So when we hear those words, right, even gathered among two or three of us, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ himself is there. Uh, And the ascension makes that possible, you know, not just for for Mary Magdalene in the garden where she tries to cling to Jesus. And he says, not yet, not yet, because I haven't yet ascended to my father and to your father. Then I'm going to be there to be clung, you know, to be holding on and taking care of the whole church, the, the whole world.
Is there a hymn or a part of the proppers that you want to dig into but still as as we have our <laughs> our last couple of minutes remaining? Is there a, a a good ascension hymn to dig into? There are a few. Uh, like the like the feast itself, I think our ascension hymns have gotten a little weak in our hymnal. Probably <laughs> one of the best ones at this point in in Lutheran service book is not even a Lutheran hymn. It's an Anglican hymn. Uh, and that's uh uh uh, see the Lord ascends in triumph. It's 494. This hymn uh, emphasizes very well that the Lord is there interceding for us, uh, that our human nature has been raised uh, to God's right hand, which is really great. Although it does, you can hear the, the, the emphasis is on the power of God, the sovereignty of God, as you'd expect from a, from a Reformed person. Uh, for a new hymn in our hymnal, you can look at 491, up through endless ranks of angels. Uh, this uh, is a newer hymn with a nice new tune by Henry Garricky, a familiar face for us at the IC. Uh, and, uh, and it's kind of a lively tune. It, it, it ascends, so I think it fits very well for this, uh, for this day. If you want to go pull one of the old hymns out, I'd go to the old Lutheran hymnal, uh, TLH, number 223 we thank thee jesus dearest friend this tune is very uh, uh oh maybe i'll just sing a phrase of it. it's really nice we thank thee jesus dearest friend that thou didst in to have us send O blessed savior bid us live and strength to soul and body give hallelujah to have an alleluia embedded right in that hymn, as it is in many other hymns too, is to emphasize we're still in the Easter season, right? This isn't the end of Easter. It isn't the end of Jesus' bodily living. No, he is living and never to die again. He is body and soul, uh, man and God in one Christ, and that'll never change. But now he's ascended to the throne on high, hid from our sight, and yet always nigh, always near us, right? He is ruling and reigning at God's right hand and has all powered his command for us. That's why we love the ascension. So those are a few mm -hmm. hymns that, that I think really capture the point of ascension and do it well. Any propers or anything else that you want to? Reflect on? Uh, none in particular. Like I said, I think I think the um, the the texts for ascension are pretty clear. But but the other psalm, oh, and I don't have it in front of me, so I'm not remembering it. Sixty eight. It's in the sixties. I want to say is uh, oh, clap your hands, all ye peoples, shout unto God with a voice of triumph, for the Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great King over all the earth. Uh, sing praises. God has gone up with a shout. And there's a great uh, Ray Fawn Williams setting of it that uh, mm -hmm. we sang in college. Beautiful. And uh, yeah. God has gone up with a shout, right? Uh, that that his ascension is not a time for us to be sad, mopey. Again, it's not Jesus has left the building, but it's Jesus is is reigning over all things. He's more present with us now than he could have been if, if right? Here you play this mind game. If only I were a disciple, if only I had been there with Jesus. Now, what our answer to that kind of thinking as Christians is, I have something far better. I, I live in the time of the New Testament. I live in the time when Christ is present by his word all over the world and, and, is, and is at the right hand of God. And, and the only thing I have left to wait for that'll be better than this is when I finally get to see all things under subjection to his feet at the last day. And the number one thing that'll be under under his boot is death, right? 
that there will be no more sickness and no more death, but we will be risen just as he is raised, never to die again. Certainly something to uh, to truly celebrate this ascension. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems very timely, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus has it all under control. That really is the point of ascension. Uh, he has it all under control, and he is still for us because of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and he's still present for us as well in his word and in his sacrament. Mm, thanks be to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Reverend Sean Denzer, LCMS Director of Worship and Chaplain for the LCMS International Center. Thank you so much for talking ascension with us today on the Coffee Hour. My pleasure. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Anywhere.